0: This episode contains a description of sexual assault. Since launching this podcast, Art of Power, I have been struck, shocked even, by how often sexual assault has come up. Out of 40 guests, a quarter of them have recounted being a survivor or working with survivors. I did not set out to create a leadership show to tell Me Too stories. But I have come to realize they are everywhere. So I decided to call someone who's made these cases her lifelong battle. She is revered and reviled for it. She's among the most famous lawyers in America. A hard-charging L.A. lawyer you don't want to hear from if you're a man in the tabloid news. One of the most powerful advocates for survivors of sexual assault. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. Today, Gloria Allred. She has been called America's most famous practicing attorney. She has represented Jane Roe, the woman behind the Roe vs. Wade decision, as well as victims in the highest profile sexual assault cases. She's gone after Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Tiger Woods, Catholic priests, and Donald Trump. Look, I know Gloria a little bit. I've never met her, but I've watched her over the years. And I don't think she's a good attorney. I think she's a very poor attorney. Allred is herself a survivor of rape, prompting her to get a back alley abortion in the days before legal abortion. We talk about how that moment changed her worldview and how she wields influence in the court of public opinion. Also, she defends her frequent use of NDAs, or what her critics call hush money.
1: I ask you, Artie, who should bear the cost of the wrong, the victim or the person who inflicted the wrong on them? I'm there to win justice and accountability and compensation for the victims. Mm. That's my job.
0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race, hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm really excited to speak with you. Uh, I understand that you are a leading expert in work-life balance. Is that correct? Uh I wouldn't say
1: that, no, uh, not at all. I, I, My expertise is in women's rights.
0: No, of course. That was my attempt at a flat joke. Forgive me. Okay, all right. Gloria Allred is 80 years old, and she has not taken a vacation in decades.
1: That's correct. Probably in the 70s, yes.
0: Allred also, during the course of this interview, routinely evades or ignores my questions, like
1: here. Any great achievement will have a cost to it, but there's also a cost to doing nothing.
0: Did it ever have a personal cost for you?
1: It's not about me. It's about, you know, helping my
0: clients. I'm interested in getting to know you. That's why I ask. I really don't think about
1: any personal cost. It doesn't really matter compared to how my clients have suffered. So you go into a battle, you expect, you know, you might get some wounds. And that's just the way it's going to be. It's nothing to dwell on. It's more important to dwell on how to win.
0: Did you ever have a situation where you were truly stumped about how to win? No. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Really? Not really. Because I, I mean, I've been doing this for so many decades No personal cost, no war stories. She is being, dare I say, difficult. I find myself basically doing double and triple takes trying to justify what I want to talk with you about. It's um, really got my blood going. Mm. So thank you for that. Uh. (laughs) Still, I know she has no shortage of war stories, given how often we have seen her waging war on TV.
1: Today we filed a lawsuit in New York
0: on behalf of Chantel Jackson, on
1: behalf of Jane Doe fifteen, against Floyd Mayweather Junior actor Chris Knott. Against President elect Donald Trump.
0: So you are incredibly good at using media for advocacy. I've watched you in the talk show circuit from the 80s and 90s through today. And of all the many stories you have, there's one that I wanted you to share, if you could recollect it, because I like literally, my jaw like it actually dropped when I heard about this one, The Steam Room. Okay. One
1: of the issues that was of great concern to me, and frankly still is, was the fact that many private clubs were discriminating against women in membership. And one of those private clubs in Beverly Hills was called the Friars Club, Mm -hmm. which was a club that was founded by celebrities, Milton Berle, who was, you know, called the king of television. And I was taken there one day for lunch. And as I was sitting there, I realized there was an all-male club. Mm -hmm. So... I decided that I would like to join that club
0: mm-hmm. and
1: integrate the club.
0: Did you want to join it because you weren't allowed? Well, I went up to
1: Milton Burl as I saw him having lunch, and I said, Mr. Burl, I would like to become a member of this club. And he said, why do you want to be a member? I said, oh, of course, because you have a great Cobb salad. <laughs> and he said... <laughs> But there are only men in this club. He said, but you knew that, didn't you, Gloria? I said, well, I guess I did, Mr. Burl. He said, okay, well, here's what I'll do. I'll, I will make the motion for your membership. I'll even second my own motion. You think it's because you're a woman? Wrong. It's because I want to lower the average age of this club because the average age of this club is dead.
0: And it was as simple as that in this one conversation, this one exchange with him.
1: Yeah, right. So I became the first woman member of the Friars Club. But then, of course, I wanted to integrate the club. Uh Only men could use the steam room. I asked to be able to have women use the steam room. They said, well, men are in there naked. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm only looking for the naked truth, not looking for naked men's butts. Uh, They refused. Uh, I gave them time to think about it. Uh, So then I went to the state franchise tax board, filed a complaint of discrimination to take away their tax exempt tax deduction status.
0: For your exclusion from the steam
1: room. That's right. For exclusion from one of the privileges and amenities of the club for which I was paying Mm. full membership. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got their attention. And they decided, okay, women can use the steam room. Uh But they said, but men are not going to put their clothes on. Uh, uh So then I knocked on the steam room door one day, and I took a tape measure, and (laughs) I started singing, Is That All There Is? Is Is That All There Is? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? And at that, a lot of <laughs> men started quickly putting towels around their naked oh butts. Oh my, God. did
0: you actually put right, the tape measure to I, I did, I did. <laughs> that's all there is. So I think that that's the best desegregation story I've ever heard, like ever. And... I'm just wondering, where do you get your theatrical prowess from? Your cheekiness, your sense of humor, the, I want the Cobb salad, the, I'm going to measure your dicks now. I mean, where does that come from?
1: Well, I think, you know, you have to be creative when you are fighting for civil rights. And so sometimes we file lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we do settlements. Sometimes we do serious testimony before legislatures or Congress. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just have we have a sense of humor and we help people to reflect on what they are doing and that it needs to change. I will say that I do not have a sense of humor about certain things. Like I don't have any sense of humor about rape, mm-hmm. about denial of rights. You know, for people who are lesbian or gay or Mm -hmm. bisexual, transgender. But I do recognize what is necessary to win change. And that's what I'm dedicated to. I used to say anything that's legal and peaceful, but now I just say legal because I don't feel I need to be peaceful.
0: (laughs) I see. Were either of your parents funny?
1: Well, my father, he just was a door-to-door salesman and he told a few jokes, mainly the same jokes over and over again. (laughs) What was funny, the 14th and 15th time was the fact that he was still telling that same joke again. (laughs) That's how he was, and I adored him because he was a rock. Mm. And my mother, I don't remember her telling any jokes at all. Mm. I loved her as well. I was very fortunate to have two parents to take care of me, and not everyone has that.
0: After graduating college with an English degree, Gloria Allred taught high school for a few years in Los Angeles. One day, when she was on vacation, she had a horrific experience.
1: When I was in my 20s, I was raped by a doctor in a hotel room in Mexico, and I became pregnant I didn't report it to the police. I didn't think anybody would believe me Hmm. against the denial, what was sure to be a denial of my date, who was a medical doctor, or at least he said he was. And so I came back to the United States, came back to California, wanted to get an abortion, didn't know that abortion was not legal in California at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do what many Women at the time did, which is find someone who would do it back alley abortion, who did it for money, who wasn't licensed because no licensed healthcare professional could do it. So he did it. I paid him. And then he left me in a bathtub. And I was hemorrhaging blood all over the, my own blood all over the bathtub. Um, I had a hundred and six degree fever. Ultimately, an ambulance was called took me to the hospital. I was packed in ice. A nurse said to me in the hospital, because apparently she was against abortion, she said, I hope this teaches you a lesson. Hmm. Well, it did teach me a lesson. And the lesson is that abortion should be safe, legal, affordable, and available.
0: That experience you had of the back alley abortion that nearly killed you, and then the nurse that judged you for it. How did it shape your worldview?
1: Well, I was a teacher at the time. I didn't know anything about political activism. I didn't really know anything about the law either. I really didn't make sense of it. I just didn't understand why I couldn't get it legally. I knew what I had to do. And I did
0: it. I mean, did it prompt you to go to law school? Is that what catapulted you into a legal career? Well,
1: certainly it, it had an impact on my becoming a women's rights attorney because as a woman growing up in the United States and in this world, you know, I've had many experiences that are very similar to that of my clients. So all I can say is to changed my whole life, my, my, my view of life, and this is why I am so dedicated to making sure that we keep abortion safe and legal. And apparently, in June, at some point, after the Roe v. Wade decision of the U.S. Supreme Court, once again, it will be a crime in many states. Once again, women's lives will be at risk. Once again, girls and women may get maimed from illegal abortions. It is absolutely outrageous, and we are going to fight back.
0: Maria Allred is outspoken. She wants women to be outspoken, though in much of her career as a lawyer, she has brokered deals in which women keep silent in exchange for financial compensation, quote unquote, hush money.
1: I'm not going to make any apologies because she decides she wants to keep a confidential, not my job.
0: That and more after the break. This is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. When Gloria Allred was in her late 20s, she decided to pivot from school teacher to attorney. She earned a law degree and started a private practice with two of her classmates. Forty-five years later... That practice has represented some of the nation's most high-profile names.
1: I'd like to introduce Norma McCorvey, uh, also known as Jane Roe, the plaintiff in the very famous Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision.
0: Allred privately represented Jane Roe in the 1980s. Then in the 1990s, she was hired by the family of Nicole Brown Simpson.
1: We're just praying for justice.
0: And in the 2000s, Allred represented Amber Fry, the former girlfriend of Scott Peterson, who was eventually convicted of murdering his wife and unborn child. Who do
1: you have here with you? Amber Fry? Amber Fry, so Amber, the key prosecution witness in the case against Scott Peterson. Oh, that Amber Fry. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> in each of these cases, as well as many others, Allred spearheaded a fight outside the courtroom in the court of public opinion.
1: I came in at a time when the defense of Scott Peterson or the supporters of the defense were attacking Amber Fry, And what I did for two years is to defend her in the court of public opinion and help people to understand who she was so that once she actually took the witness stand, which ultimately she did, mm-hmm. she would have the credibility that was necessary. hmm For her to, you know, be believed by the jury. Now, as to Nicole Brown Simpson, may she rest in peace, I just want to say, because she was deceased and killed by O.J. Simpson, which was found in the civil case against him. Mm -hmm. So it's fair to say, even though he was acquitted in the criminal case of murder, there, Nicole didn't have a voice because she was deceased. So I helped the family to provide a voice for her as a battered woman, as a victim of violence, which she was, and also to provide advice to the family during the criminal case.
0: Can you explain a little bit how the family connected with you, why they connected with you? Because it's really interesting. They are the family of the victim, but their interests are not being protected or represented by the prosecutor. So explain the power dynamics of that case. That's
1: very important because you raise an issue that's important to so many people. Many people believe, uh, Archie, that the prosecutor in a criminal case is their attorney if they are the victim. False. False. They are not the attorney for the victim, although sometimes they present the public image as though they are. The prosecutor represents the people of the state. They are not the victim's attorney. And that is so important to know because anything said to a prosecutor by a victim is not confidential. Mm. Whereas if they talk to a private attorney, anything anyone tells me is completely confidential. Whether or not I ever become their attorney for a
0: case. And that's extremely important. So the prosecutor doesn't represent the victim or the victim's family. They represent the state. And so for Nicole Brown Simpson, how specifically did you speak out for her in ways that the prosecutors could not and did not?
1: She was a battered woman. And that was an issue that was not really getting enough attention.
0: Mm. The fact of that history was being buried.
1: Well, there was a racial issue that was going on. And let's put it this way, the issue of violence against Nicole was not getting the attention that it needed to get.
0: And so you got it attention, how?
1: By speaking out. In 1989, Simpson entered a plea of no contest, tantamount to a guilty plea to misdemeanor spousal battery of his wife, Nicole Brown Simpson. The family of the murder victim should also have the right to be present during the judge's inquiry.
0: Well, it's very hard to change a narrative. I'm I'm not being coy. Once a dominant narrative is out there, I mean, anyone who's ever trended on Twitter can tell you this. Like, once a dominant narrative is out there, it's really freaking hard to turn it around.
1: There was no Twitter then, and there was no internet then either. (laughs) So, look, That was a high-profile celebrity case. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the culture is such that it pays much more attention to anything involving a celebrity. But although I do, and I think I probably have done more high-profile cases than anyone in the country, Mm -hmm. we have many cases no profile, okay? These are typical people being sexually assaulted, battered, sexually harassed, These are no-profile cases. They are just as important as any celebrity case.
0: As I spoke with Gloria Allred, she kept hitting back upon a theme from her life's work, correcting power imbalances.
1: I'm used to taking on the rich, the powerful, and the famous. I do it every day. But sometimes the powerful is not a name that you know. It's not a name that, of someone who was president of the United States or a political figure, might be a religious figure who sexually abused a child. Mm -hmm. It might be someone in education, in business, in the sports world. My job is to equalize the power because as I've said, power only understands power. So I'm not really concerned about, oh, they did this and that's terrible and they did that and that's terrible. That's for political commentators and, you know, people who want to be on the Internet and express their opinion. God bless them. That's fine. They get to do that in the court of public opinion. My job is to seek justice for the people who were hurt, who are not in power, who need to be empowered to win justice. I focus on them and how we get there, how we can meet that goal Mm -hmm. of getting them accountability. It's like a morality play, a lawsuit. Some things are immoral, but not unlawful. Some things are unlawful and immoral. And we can win justice without speaking about it publicly. And sometimes we can only win justice by speaking about it publicly.
0: What you just said can be very tricky and is laden with power implications. Some things are illegal and immoral some things are legal and immoral, some things are also illegal, but moral, right? We can think about, for example, interracial. Yeah. And some things are immoral, but not illegal. You seem to dance between those distinctions. So for example, you are a lawyer who will continuously point to this is the law, this is legal to make a moral argument, but then you will also challenge how the law is today. For example, in California, you worked to remove the statute of limitations on sexual violence successfully. Actually I did that in yes, thank mm-hmm. you. I did that in California, Nevada,
1: and Colorado. Right. And I also work behind the scenes in Washington, DC.
0: And so you've not just used the law to win what is possible, for example, you know, settlement money for a survivor or payment for a survivor. You've also worked to change the laws.
1: That's true. Guilty as charged.
0: (laughs) What have you learned from that? For example, the campaign to remove the statute of limitations. It was a very different kind of job from your case litigation.
1: Yeah, I understand politics. Politics is also my sport, perhaps because it's a blood sport (laughs) and I like it. And I also know it's necessary to understand it in order to win changes in the law. But uh, you have to do whatever is necessary in the pursuit of justice, if it's legal.
0: (laughs) When do you know what route to take?
1: I always tell young lawyers, it's not enough to be smart. You also have to be wise. And that means you need to have judgment. It's not enough to know the law. You need to know what your client's needs are and help to advise them and put your clients first always. Not everybody does that. Sometimes they put themselves first.
0: Do you also need to know what justice is? Well,
1: sometimes justice cannot be achieved. As I say, if a woman has been raped, you can't undo that. Mm -hmm. But maybe you can minimize the injustice. Mm -hmm. And that means pursuing what the client wants.
0: You've been practicing law and fighting for survivors of assault for far longer than the Me Too movement has existed. You've been through decades of working on this in moments where the culture was very different than the culture we currently have. That's true. And part of what you have done is use the tools available to you to win what is possible. You strike me as an incredibly pragmatic human being.
1: Anyone who has inflicted injustice on women and knows that we want them to be accountable is going to be upset that I'm coming after them. I don't care if they're upset. I don't care if they're unhappy. Hmm. I don't care if they call me names. I'm there to win justice and accountability and compensation for the victims. I don't apologize for that. That's my job. I ask you, Artie, who should bear the cost of the wrong? The victim or the person who inflicted the wrong on them? The predator, the accused, the defendant. And so I make no apologies for that. I will stand up for my clients.
0: Gloria Allred has a wide range of critics. Rich and famous men attack her, like ex-New York City mayor and Trump lawyer Rudolph Giuliani. What incentive would nine women have to come forward? At least one is represented by Gloria Allred, so we know what her incentive is. It's to get money. Also, comedian Jimmy Kimmel. Well,
1: that's not necessarily true because a lot of them seem to be being represented by
0: Gloria Allred, who, you know, is in league with the devil. Yeah. Allred was parodied in a Saturday Night Live skit. I'm naturally a very pushy person and find that by talking loudly, people are forced to listen to me, even if they would prefer not to. But there was one particular criticism I wanted to ask her about. Feminist journalists at The New York Times, reporters who've broken many Me Too stories, say that Gloria Allred has helped perpetuate silence, specifically by getting her clients to take hush money. The legal term of art is non-disclosure agreements, or NDAs. Harvey Weinstein's lawyers negotiated lots of them during his many years of sexual abuse. They're controversial because they allow the perpetrator of violence to go about their daily lives to avoid public scrutiny for their wrongdoing by paying the victim to effectively shut up. But Gloria Allred supports NDAs staunchly.
1: Okay, here comes the shocker and the news flash. Mm. Every victim has the right to privacy if that's what she wants or he wants. Mm. No victim should feel that she or he has to give up their right to privacy, their constitutional right to privacy, in order to make changes in the whole culture it's not their job Mm -hmm. but by standing up against the predator the person who hurt them they are making changes because seeking compensation is a language that most men and most predators understand what do you mean that they literally have to pay the consequences of their wrong to the victim in a substantial amount. And that is a teaching moment for those predators. Mm-hmm. That's their teaching moment. And they may think twice mm. about doing it again. She doesn't have any duty to tell everybody in her neighborhood or even her mother, her father, or sister, or brother mm-hmm. that someone gave her a sexually transmitted disease. So I'm not going to make any apologies because mm-hmm. she decides she wants to keep a confidential and the perpetrator keeps a confidential as well. Mm-hmm. Not my job, but also understand, even with a nondisclosure agreement, Artie, she always has the right to go to the police. Mm-hmm. She always has a right to testify publicly in a court of law. Right, right. So understand that mm-hmm. and let's respect victims who make that choice. I'm there to fight the good fight for them. I I am a passionate warrior for justice. Mm. I confess to that. (laughs) And again, people can characterize it however they want, but the clients who are seeking justice are not there to criticize me. They're, They're very grateful.
0: Do you ever have to point out to them that they have the freedom to do this, that they have the freedom to keep on living after a horrific event?
1: I think they become the people they were meant to be. They often will see the change and understand the change in themselves. I don't have to point out to them. They they have learned through the process something that they have never, never knew before, that they had more strength and courage to win justice than they ever knew they had. And now they know it and they become role models for their children and their relatives and their coworkers and their community, even though they never had done that before, and even though the actual facts of their case may not be known, they've been transformed into the empowered people they were always meant to be. And that is a beautiful thing. For me, it's like seeing a flower bloom. I, I see the person who come in, sometimes they come in, they're crying, they're depressed, sometimes they're suicidal. Their therapy, they don't know if they can go on. Mm -hmm. And by the time they're through the process, they're like a completely transformed person. Mm. Sometimes their voices even change. They may start with a little girl voice that that they've been stuck with because maybe they were abused as a child and they still have that little girl voice. Mm -hmm. And by the time we're finished, they have a full adult woman's voice. They Mm -hmm. literally have been transformed by standing up for themselves. That's what keeps me going every day. And, I, I, and it just changes their world, changes them, and it changes the world around them. So that's why I do keep going after all these years. And that's why I will go on for the rest of my life. And if possible, from the great hereafter as well, if there is one.
0: I had a baby four weeks ago. You're my first interview since coming out of maternity leave. Really? Yeah, I'm loving this. Uh, well, I yeah, hope so. you have a
1: baby feminist,
0: I hope, a baby feminist. He will absolutely be a feminist because I am his mother.
1: Congratulations and mazel tov and all good things to you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and
1: thank you so much and you've been very strong and <laughs> courageous, frankly, in dealing with me. Oh, that's a compliment. Uh, and the tough questions. <laughs> so I know your baby will... Grow up and just be as strong as his mama. Aw, oh, thank you. Uh, and and as courageous and uh, as thoughtful. So thank you yes. again for inviting me.
0: Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Bye. My lessons from Gloria Allred: One, when you are fighting for serious, heavy things like civil rights, do not be doom and gloom. Tap into your inner comedian. There's humor in tragedy. Use it, like to measure dicks. Two, when you see a door that is closed to you, try to blast it open. Don't just criticize clubs that would not have you. Campaign to get into them. Three, know the battle you are fighting and fight it doggedly. Hate to say it, but take fewer vacations. This episode of Art of Power was produced by Justin Bull, Hina Srivastava, and me, Arthi Shahani. Our intern is Sylvia Goodman. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. If you liked what you heard, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or share it. Nothing like word of mouth. Also, tell me what you think. On Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Arthi411, A-A-R-T-I 411. For exclusive offers, you can sign up for the Art of Power newsletter at wbez.org slash AOP newsletter. All right, see you next week. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR.